job this morning. Guys, as always, thank you so much. Life is a gift, amen? If there is no breath, there is no life. God is the giver of life. He's the giver of breath. It certainly is true that it's his breath that's in our lungs. We ought to use it to, to praise him. And this morning, he's wor worthy of that. He's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our praise. And I'm so thankful to be able to be a part and take advantage of the privilege and opportunity to praise him. Take your Bibles, if you will, please. Turn with me to John chapter number 6. John chapter 6 is what we'll be looking at in just a moment. Jesus said in John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you believe it this morning, say amen. He is the way to the Father. He is the way to heaven. He is the truth. He's the essence of truth. And it's in Christ that we find eternal life, which is abundant life. As a matter of fact, you're never going to understand and experience life as God created it until you know Jesus as your personal Savior. Jesus is life. Without Him, um, then really all we're doing is existing. All we're doing is just getting by. Jesus offers to everyone who believes, everyone who trusts in Him for the forgiveness of sin, He offers unto us eternal abundant life. And I'm thankful for that this morning. Jesus said in John chapter 10 that I am the good shepherd. If you believe it this morning, say amen. I'm so thankful for that. I just cannot get over the teaching of the good shepherd that the Word of God gives us. How many of you know Jesus died for His sheep? Jesus directs His sheep. He leads us beside still waters. He brings us through green pastures. Listen, Jesus died for the sheep, directs his sheep, but how many know he protects his sheep? The Bible says in Psalm 23, when talking about the good shepherd, it tells us that he makes a table before, he makes us a, a table before us in the presence of our enemies. And so even in the presence of enemies, God protects his people. And we're so very thankful for it. He died for us. He directs us. He protects us. And I'm thankful that he provides for us. He gives us what we need uh, day by day. The Bible says, my God shall supply. All our need according to His riches and glory. How many of you are thankful that God provides for His people not according to our bank account but according to His riches? God provides for His people and promises to do so as the Good Shepherd. And so this morning I'm thankful that He is my shepherd and He's a Good Shepherd. Jesus said, uh, Jesus is, according to John chapter 7, the water of life. That means He sanctifies, He sustains us and keeps us going. In, in the race that we're running. He satisfies the deepest longing of our soul. And, and last but certainly not least, He saturates us. Can you say amen? He, he fills us up and then pours us out into the lives of others. And that's what I'm praying for right here this morning. That's what I pr my prayer is for my family, that we are saturated with the presence and power of the Lord Jesus Christ. What I'm praying for this morning, for this service, is that we are saturated with the presence and power of the Holy Spirit of God. And so, they, He is the water of life. This morning, I want us to read in John chapter number 6, starting in verse number 35. We're going to look at one verse to begin with, and we'll go back and look at some more. But John 6, verse number 35, the Bible tells us plainly, Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. 
Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. I am thankful, Lord, that you have promised that where we are gathered together, you are with us. I'm thankful that you are able to do all things. We know that to be true. Lord, I believe you're able this morning to seek and to save sinners. And I'm praying that you would do just that. Lord, if there be one here that's lost, I'm asking you that you would begin drawing them, Holy Spirit, unto yourself like you once did me. Lord, we know that you are able to heal broken hearts. And so, Father, if there's one here that's in this sanctuary or listening online this morning that's uh, got a broken heart, they're depressed, they're disappointed, they're discouraged, we know that you are the healer of broken hearts. And we're asking that you bring healing to that person. Lord, I don't know what's going on in every heart and every life, but you know exactly what we need. You know us better than we know ourselves. So I'm asking that you do the work that only you are capable of in this place. I'm praying, Lord, that you would speak to hearts, change lives, and I'm asking you to do the work that only you are capable of doing. Lord, we need you. We ask that you fill us up, use us, pour us out into the lives of these people. Move me out of the way and use me for your honor and your glory, I pray. In Jesus' mighty name and for your sake, amen. Now, for us to really understand and get a hold of the truth that Jesus brings in John 6.35 when he makes the announcement, the declaration, uh, gives us the revelation that he is the bread of life. For us to really get a hold of that, we've really got to go back to the beginning of John chapter 6. We're going to start there in verse number 1. And I want to read to you very quickly this morning um, the story that really brought all this to pass. Jesus performs a miracle, his most popular miracle that he ever did right here in John chapter 6. We have an eyewitness account of John saying Jesus fed um, a multitude of people here. This is the only miracle that Jesus did that's recorded in all four Gospels. That's why I call it his most popular miracle. You've probably heard it many times. You've probably read it many times. But man, God's word is real and relevant for here this, for us this morning. And I'm praying that it speaks to you as it's spoken to me. John chapter number 6, starting in verse number 1, there's three things that I want us to see in this passage of Scripture. First of all, I want you to see that there is no problem too big for the God we serve. If you believe that, say amen today. Secondly, I want you to see there's no person too small for God to use. And thirdly, I want you to see there's no spiritual hunger too deep that Jesus can't satisfy. Let's look at what God's Word says to us right here starting in verse number 1. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude, everybody say a great multitude. Watch. They followed Him because they saw His miracles, which He did on them, that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he said unto Philip, When shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered and said, Two hundred pennyworth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. Now I want you to get a hold of this. First and foremost, I want you to understand that Jesus is not asking advice from Philip. How many of you know the God-man, God incarnate in the flesh, the Son of God and God the Son, He don't need advice from anybody. Can you say amen to that? He's not asking for advice from Philip because the Bible told us right here 
Jesus already knew what he was going to do. Let me tell you what else he's not doing. Jesus is not trying to find something out about Philip that he don't already know. Because Jesus knew absolutely everything about Philip inside and out, just like he knows everything about Israel inside and out, just like he knows you inside and out. He knows me better than I know me, and he knows you better than you know you, and he knew Philip better than Philip knew Philip. He's not asking advice, and he's trying to learn something of Philip. What he's really trying to do, I believe, in asking Philip this, he's not trying to learn something of Philip, but he's trying to get Philip and all the other disciples and the multitude that were following him at that time, he's trying to get all them to learn something about God. And folks, this morning, that's what we need to learn from this scripture. We need to learn something about who he is, what he can do, and what he will do for those that allow um, him to, to use them. And so, look what happens. He, he says, Philip, we've got a problem. All these people have been sitting here listening to me preach and teach all throughout the day, and they've been so concerned about the nourishment they're receiving, spiritually speaking, that they forgot all about their physical nourishment. That's really what had happened that day. Oh, to God that we would have people that were more concerned about spiritual nourishment than what pleases the flesh. Can you say amen? That's what was happening here. They heard the Word of God preached by the power of God. You have the Word of God, the Lord Jesus, the living Word, preaching the written word, and they're all sitting around there uh, listening to what he has to say, and they were so enthralled with it. They were so, uh, listen, excited about what they were hearing and what they were learning that they were willing to stay all day, and they forgot about going to buy food. So that's a problem. Now, it's a good problem to have, but how many of you know a good problem is still a problem? <laughs> still a problem, and it needs to be fixed. And so what happens? Jesus says, Philip, what are we going to do? Where are we going to buy some bread? Now, there's nowhere to buy bread where they were, and they didn't have enough money to buy it if there were a place to go and purchase it. Philip says, 200 penny worth, which is actually about a year's wage. He said, if we had a man's yearly wage of that day, if we had a man's yearly wage, we couldn't buy everybody enough food to feed their hungry. They'd all just get a mouthful. They had a problem that they could not fix. Now, I submit to you this morning, listen, I don't know what problem you have in your life, but there is no problem too big that God can't solve it. Now, you may not have problems. You may not struggle in certain areas. But I'm going to tell you something, folks. There's times in my life when I've had problems too big for me to fix. I've had problems in my family from time to time too big for me to fix. And I have to go to the Lord and say, Lord, I need you here. If you don't do the work, the work's not going to get done. Lord, show me what I need to do. Give me wisdom so that I might make the right decision do what's necessary, and say what's necessary at the right time. See, folks, I'm telling you, when we relinquish our will to God's will, when we lay ourselves out before the Lord and say, Lord, we need you, I promise you, He can and He will fix our problems. Are you hearing me? But you've got to humble yourself. The Bible says that He cares so much for us, He loves us, and that we can... Care, cast our care upon him in the book of First Peter. But before we can cast our care upon him, we've got to realize we can't fix our situation ourselves. We must humble ourselves. We need to realize there's a lot of stuff too big for me and for you. Nothing is too big for God.
I mean, we've either got to come to the place where we believe what the Bible teaches about the God we serve or we don't believe it. But if we believe it, we need to apply it and live it out. See, if we really believe God spoke and creation happened, that we serve a star-breathing God. I read to you from Psalm 147, the first four verses this morning uh, before Sunday school. Psalm 147 says that God tells the number of the stars and calls them all by their names. Now, we've been studying um, outer space for a long time now. And, folks, do you know that scientists still don't know the number of stars in the universe? Now, they've got a big number that they, they think might be close, but they don't know the number yet, and they've been studying it for years, hundreds thousands of years the bible says god knows the number but not only does he know the number he calls them all by their name that speaks of first of all omnipotence he's all powerful but it also speaks of his omniscience he has all knowledge that's the god we serve now if we serve a star breathing god what problem is too big for him the bible says in the book of exodus that the nation of israel came to the to the Red Sea, they were being brought out of Egypt and into Canaan land, out of the place of burden, into the place of blessing, led by Moses. That had been, God had commanded Moses to lead them out to bring them in. Can you say amen? And, and so they get to the Red Sea. The Egyptian army's coming up from behind them. The Red Sea's in front of them, and they're about to be absolutely crushed by the Egyptian army. What did God do? God told Moses, stretch out your staff. And I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to deliver the people. And that's exactly what he did. He split the sea in half. And the Bible says the nation of Israel walked across on dry ground. Do you believe this morning that we serve a star-breathing God? Do you believe this morning that we serve a sea-splitting God? The Bible says in the book of John, chapter number 11, that Jesus spoke to Lazarus. While he was still in the grave, having been dead four days, he said, Lazarus, come forth. And at that moment, the dead raised up. Do you believe this morning that we serve a dead raising God? (laughs) Not only did he raise up Lazarus, but more importantly, he raised up himself. He conquered the grave. See, folks, if we have a star-breathing, sea-splitting, dead-raising God, and we believe it, then let's start living like it and applying that truth to our life. How do we do it? Well, I want you to think about your biggest problem this morning. I don't know what it is. Your biggest problem. Think about it. You got it? Everybody thinking on it? Now double that problem. Double it again. I'm going to tell you something. That problem is still not too big for God to solve. I don't know what's happening with you. I can only speak for myself. I've come to find out that in being a pastor, there's a problem in every pew and there's a problem in every pulpit. That's true. All of us deal with stuff. But I'm telling you, nothing you're dealing with right now is too big for God. Nothing. There's not a problem too big that He can't solve it. It may be relational. It may be in your family. It may be in your marriage. Let me just give you this. Listen, if you're having problem in your family, if you're having problem in your marriage, 
marriage is a gift from God, created by God. And I want you to know, God can fix the problem in your marriage, but marriage will only work unless you choose to do marriage God's way. He's the creator of marriage, therefore he knows how it's supposed to operate. If you want to fix the problem in your marriage, if you want to fix the problem with your kids, listen, you need to start doing what God says concerning your kids. If you want to fix your marriage, start doing what God says concerning your marriage. I'm telling you, God can fix those problems if we choose to apply his truth to that situation. Are you getting me? There's no, not a problem too big that he can't fix it. Whether it be in your home, in your family, in your finances, God is able. A lot of people have problems in their finances. Let me tell you why. Because they're not giving to God like they should. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said that if you give, it will be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. This morning, I want to give you a foolproof financial plan that comes straight from the Word of God. If you want to be blessed in your finances, start honoring God with your finances. Jesus says, you give and it will be given unto you. I found that to be true in my life. Both ways. Both ways. When I choose to be faithful and give as God has commanded me to give and be a cheerful giver realizing I'm giving to something that matters when I do that, listen, God heaps His blessings upon me. There have been times in my life when I've been stingy and not gave like I should and I've recognized and I've realized God can also, also get your attention in your finances when you're not doing what you're supposed to do with your finances. Are you getting me? There's not a problem that God can't fix. But we must come at these problems God's way. Are you getting a hold of this? Now, all that Philip did was just what any good red-blooded atheist or agnostic would do. He looked at the situation and he said, we ain't got anywhere to buy bread and there's no way we're going to fix the problem with the money that we've got to fix it with. We don't have enough to buy. There's no word, nowhere to buy the bread that we need. We've got a problem. But what Philip didn't factor in is that Jesus was on the scene. That God incarnate in the flesh was right there among them. That's the same thing that atheists and agnostics don't factor in. They see the problems when they look out into the universe. They see all the things that they don't understand when they look out in the world in which they live. But they don't put in the God factor. And if you don't put in the God factor, listen, life itself, existence itself, the universe itself, the world itself is never going to really make sense to you. It's not. Jesus is the truth. He is the answer. Without Him, you're never really going to know the truth. You're never really going to know the purpose that God has for you. The purpose for why we are here. But Philip just looked at the situation and he left Jesus out of it. That's what a lot of people do. That's why we get ourselves a lot of times in the mess that we get ourselves in. We recognize the problem. We try to fix the problem, but we leave Jesus out of it. Amen? Philip says, Lord, we ain't got enough money. We're never going to be able to feed all of them. Now, not only do I want you to see there's not a problem that God can't fix, but number two, there's not a person too small that God can't use. Do you believe that Jesus can use you? He can. I don't care who you are. 
what you have, what you don't have, what you can do, what you can't do. I, I don't care what you've done or what you haven't done. Jesus can and will use you this morning. He will. There's not a person too small that Jesus can't use them. Now, I've seen a whole lot of people that's too big for God to use. They're prideful and they're arrogant and they're, it's all about them and their confidence and boldness is not in God and in His truth but in themselves and it's very difficult for God to use that person. As a matter of fact, God will not use that person. The Scripture says that He gives grace to the humble and re- resists the proud. And so for us to really be used to the Lord, we've got to humble ourselves. And, and you need to know there's a lot of people that's too big for God to use them but nobody's too small for God to use them. The truth is right here in the Word of God. Look what it says in John chapter 6, down in verse number 8. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There's a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in the number of about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed it to his disciples, and the disciples of them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. When they were filled, um, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Now I want you to get the picture. Jesus said, You make all of them sit down. And so the Bible says... They looked around and, and, and somehow got, a, got an idea of how many men was there. And the Bible says there was 5,000 men in attendance. Now, I know that we always say Jesus fed the 5,000. Now, he did feed 5,000, but I believe it was much more than that. The Bible says it was 5,000 men. All right? Now, if those men had wives that were with them and children that were with them, most people believe it was probably around fifteen to 20,000 that Jesus actually fed that day. And it all started with a little boy's lunch. Amen? A little boy who the Bible said had his mama probably had packed him his lunch for the day as he was going out to hear Jesus speak. And he was willing to give that little to the Lord and the Lord done a lot with it. Do you hear me? He was willing to give what little he had to the Lord And the Lord done a lot with it. Now listen to me. Jesus can do much more with what you've got than you can. That's why you need to give Jesus everything you have. Amen? You may not have much as far as worldly possessions. But I'm going to tell you, Jesus can do much more with them than you can. Give them to Him. Lord, uh, listen, I may have this, you may have blessed me with this, but I realize you've blessed me with whatever I have, my home, my automobile, my, my, my bank account, whatever I've got, you've blessed me to be a blessing. And so, Lord, all of this is yours. And however you want to use this, it's yours. I give it to you. That's what, that's, that should be the attitude of us as Christ followers. You're to give Jesus your treasure, but you ought to give Jesus your talent. You say, well, brothers, I just ain't got much talent. Well, join the crowd. Neither do I. But the good news is, listen to me, God is in the business of doing extraordinary things with just regular, ordinary people. Look throughout the Word of God. 
He used David, just a little boy, to slay Goliath. Amen? He used Moses, a murderer on the run on the backside of the desert, to lead the nation of Israel out of the bondage in Egypt. He used fishermen, blue-collar working-class fishermen, and used that small group of believers to go out and absolutely change the world with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He does extraordinary things with ordinary people. So if you're here this morning and you feel pretty ordinary and you feel small, guess what? You are a prime candidate for God to use you. You are. Let me prove it to you. This is a verse that I live by. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. And listen to what the Bible tells us in verse number 26. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. That no flesh, watch this now, should glory in his presence. I love that. Do you ever feel like maybe you're base, you're ordinary? Do you ever feel like, he, he says right here that, um, you kind of feel foolish in a lot of ways, in a lot of areas of your life. I think we all do from time to time. Do, do you ever feel like maybe um, you just don't measure up? Well, if you do, God is willing and wants to use you because you're the people He uses. We are the people He uses. Ordinary, everyday people. Why? So that he can be glorified. If he uses ordinary th- people to do extraordinary things, then nobody can glory in themselves. they got to glory in God. I'm thankful for what God has done, is doing, and I'm looking forward in faith to what God's going to do with me. And I'm thankful just that an ordinary, everyday person, just like me and just like you, God can use for his honor. And his glory. Can you say amen? There's not a person too small that God cannot use. He used a little boy to do one of the greatest miracles that's ever, that was ever recorded in the Word of God. His most popular miracle. Now, there's a few things here that I want us to see, though. I want to give you four things that start with T that will help you when realizing how God can use you according to what happened with this little boy. Now, the Bible says that the little boy took his lunch and he gave it to Jesus. He transferred it to the Lord. There has to be a transfer. You've got to take what you have and transfer it for it to Jesus. Lord, whatever I've got, it's yours. My time, my talent, my treasure, whatever I've got, it's yours. I'm giving it to you. However you want to use me or what I have, Lord, use it. I'm giving it to you. There has to be a transfer. And listen, then what happens, Jesus takes what you give. And let me tell you what I'm, I'm so excited about and so thankful for in serving the Lord. Jesus is not asking for what you don't have. He's not. A lot of people say, well, I can't be used to the Lord because I, I can't preach and I can't sing and I can't do this or I can't do that. He's not asking for what you don't have. He's asking for what you do have. And if you'll transfer to Him what you do have, He'll take it. He'll take it. Praise the Lord. 
And let me tell you what he'll do then. He'll touch it. The Bible says that he took the little boy's lunch, he touched it, and listen to me, he gave thanks for it, asked the Heavenly Father to bless it, and then he transformed it. Transfer, Jesus takes it, he touches it, and then by his power he transforms it and uses it for his honor and his glory and for the good of everybody you minister to. Isn't that awesome? Now if he can do it for this little boy, he can do it for us. He can use you. He wants to use you. He wants to use you in his local body of believers, the church. So get plugged in and get busy being what God has saved you to be by doing what God has saved you to do. Amen? He'll take it, whatever you give him. He'll touch it and he'll transform it. Use it for his honor and his glory. There's not a person too small that Jesus can't use. Now let let me give you number three. There's not a spiritual hunger too deep that Jesus can't satisfy it. Three things I want you to see about Jesus being the bread of life this morning. First of all, he is spiritual bread. Look what the Bible says starting in verse number 25. I want you to go back this week and I want you to read the rest of John chapter number 6. We're not going to go through all of it this morning for lack of time. But this will be a great quiet time for you. There's a lot that happens from... um, Chapter 6, verse 12 to verse number 25. I mean, Jesus performs another miracle. He walks on water after he um, feeds the, the, the multitude there. And then he gives us this great truth, starting in verse number 25. When they had found him, the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when comest thou hither? And Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me not because you saw the, not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. Now again, Jesus knew those people better than they knew themselves, and he knew really the reason why they were following him. And the reason they were following him and trying to hunt him up after he had went across the sea from where he was the previous day, they came over to where he was, not because they wanted to hear more of what he had to say and see more of what he could do as God in the flesh. Listen, they came because their bellies got hungry again. Are you Now let me say something to you. There's a big debate today on whether or not we should be about the social gospel or evangelizing by preaching the gospel. Now, let let, let me make this very clear. It's not either or, it's both. In performing the social gospel, I'm talking about feeding hungry bellies and putting clothes on people's backs and and helping people in need when when they have a need, seeing needs and meeting needs, all of that gives us a platform to then go out and preach the gospel that changes hearts and changes lives. Now listen to me. If all we do, if all we do is feed hungry bellies and put clothes on backs, roofs over heads, if that's all we do, yet we do not evangelize, then really all we're doing, folks, is making this world a better place to go to hell from. That's it. Because guess what? That physical food that you give somebody, that's going to run out. Are you hearing me? Those clothes that you put on their back, that's going to be tattered before long. Those things do not last. They're temporal. I'm glad that we feed hungry people. And I'm glad that we perform ministry to see needs and meet needs. 
right here in this church. But I'm going to tell you something. The end goal for every plan, every program, every ministry that we have is to ultimately share the gospel that changes them eternally. That gives life to them eternally. Can you say amen? Now, that's what Jesus makes clear here. Watch what he says. Verse number 26. Verily, verily, I say unto you, seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him both God hath God the Father sealed. So what Jesus says is, you shouldn't be coming to receive the food that, that, that perishes, but what you need is the food, the spiritual bread, that will bring to you everlasting life. Jesus is the spiritual bread. But let me tell you something else. He's also supernatural bread. Supernatural bread. Look, I, look, look what I mean by that. Look down at verse number 30. Then said they therefore unto him, What sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What doest thou work? Now I want you to think about it. These people have already seen Jesus feed 5,000 people with a little boy's lunch. They've already seen that. But still they're looking for another miracle. These Miracle mongers that are running around wanting to see signs. Signs intrigue people, but they never satisfy people. If all you look for is a sign, you're just going to keep looking for more signs. Are you hearing me? What you need is truth that changes you from the inside out. What you need is the bread of life that satisfies the hunger that you need, or the hunger that you have. So Jesus said, verse number 31, our fathers did and he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not the bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Jesus is the spiritual, supernatural bread that came down from heaven. Can you say amen? Now, they bring up manna in the desert. They say, but all the way back when Moses was leading the nation of Israel through the wilderness unto the promised land, God fed them with manna. Jesus said, okay, if you want to talk about manna, if you want to talk about the bread that came down from heaven, let's talk about it because I'm the fulfillment of that bread. The manna in the desert was a foreshadowing of the bread of life that would come in John. Can you say amen? The manna represented the Lord Jesus. I read this this week in J. Vernon McGee's commentary, and man, it blessed my soul. I want to read it to you. The manna is white, and that represents the purity of Jesus. The manna is round, and that represents the eternal nature of Jesus. The manna is on the ground, and that represents the, the meek and lowly nature of the Lord Jesus as Savior. The manna had to be picked up, and that Jesus had to be resurrected. The manna sustained physical life, and Jesus gives eternal life. Jesus is the supernatural bread that came down from heaven that gives us eternal, abundant life. Can you say amen to that? He's the true bread. Now, not only is He the spiritual bread, the supernatural bread, but He's the satisfying bread. Look what He says there in verse number 35, the verse that we started with this morning. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life, and he that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. I remember years ago, 
Um, you may remember it too. The Rolling Stones came out with a song, and it was called I Can't Get No Satisfaction. Anybody remember that? I'm the only one that ever listened to the Rolling Stones. Brother, we ain't raising our hand for that. You ain't going to get us to, to admit. No, I remember that song. And, and, and Mick Jagger, who was at the top at that time, and, and still in many regards, he still is, he was at the top of his industry. I mean, there was nobody bigger than the Rolling Stones. He had all the money he could ever spend, all the prestige he could ever want, all the power in the music business he could ever dream for, dream up. I mean, he had it all, him and his band. He had everything the world had to offer. Yet he's still singing the song, I can't get no satisfaction. Let me tell you why. Because the bread of this world does not satisfy. What you try to feel, that empty place on the inside with, will never satisfy you except Jesus. I've told you before that Billy Graham said that there's a Jesus-shaped hole on the inside of every man, woman, boy, and girl that comes into this world. And the only thing that's going to fill it is Jesus. Billy Graham wasn't the first one to say that. The first one to say that I learned this week was a philosopher by the name of Pascal. Pascal said that, and he was right many, many years ago. Many years ago. He figured it out. It's kind of like those little toys that you used to have when you was a kid. I, I remember I had one, maybe you did too. It was a little ball, and had a star shape, and a square shape, and a circle shape, a triangle shape, and had all the shapes on the inside of it, and you could open it up and take the shapes out, put, up, put the ball back together, and then you had to put the right shape in the right hole. The star didn't fit in the circle shape and the circle shape didn't fit in the triangle shape. It had to be the triangle for the triangle, the circle for the circle, the star for the star because that's the shape. Well, that's what Pascal is saying. There's a Jesus-shaped hole on the inside of all of us. We can try and fill it with everything the world has to offer. Money, possessions, power, but the only thing that will really satisfy you the only thing that's really going to bring you contentment and peace, joy and purpose, is the true bread of life. The spiritual, supernatural, satisfying bread. Jesus is the bread of life. You say, If you believe it, say amen this morning. He satisfied the deepest hungers of my soul. Matthew chapter... Five and verse number six, one of my favorite verses. You know what Jesus said there in the Sermon on the Mount? He said, Blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Do you know why a lot of people are not filled with Jesus? Even as believers? You want me to tell you why a lot of us are not filled up to the brim with Jesus and pouring out in our everyday lives? You want me to tell you why? Because we're not hungry for Jesus. And the reason we're not hungry for Jesus, the bread of life, is because we've eaten too, eaten too much of the world's bread and we're full of it. We're full of, we're full of pride. We're full of the things that are not pleasing to God that tempt us many times. 
A man who's not hungry is either full of something else or he's dead. Let me ask you something. Do you hunger this morning for the bread of life? Do you hunger for the Lord Jesus? Listen, if you're lost, you may not even realize what you're hungering for, but you know you need something you ain't got. Listen, what you need is Jesus. As a believer, are you hungering for more of Him? Are you filled with the things of the world or do you hunger for more of what Jesus can give you? I'm not talking about a separate experience. I'm talking about more love, more joy, more peace, more patience, more of the filling of the Holy Spirit so that those fruits might be evident in your life. Do you want more of Him? You can have it. Most of us have as much of Jesus as we want. Can you say amen? If you're not full of everything else, you'll be hungry for Him. Everybody stand up, please. I don't know what the Lord has spoke to your heart. Your invitation is this. What you need to remember is this. There's not a problem too big that God can't solve it. Whatever's going on in your life today, He's able. Maybe you just need to come and talk things over with Him. Maybe you just need to come and get along in this altar with the Lord because, like I said before, there's men and women, boys and girls, have been getting along with God in altars just like this since the beginning of time. The altar is a great place to humble yourself before God and talk over the problems that you have in your own personal life. There's not a problem too big that He can't fix it. There's not a person too small that He can't use. Maybe, just maybe, He wants to use you. (laughs) He does. He will. He can. If you'll give Him what you got. Young people, hear me in that. Hear me in that. Give Jesus what you got. Give Him your life. Give Him your everything. I don't want you to wait till you're an old man like me to figure that out. Figure it out now. Lord, whatever I've got's yours. However I can serve you. Lord, I want to serve you. Whatever you can do with me or what I have, do it. Would you pray that prayer this morning? There's not a person too small. God can't use you. Listen. There's not a spiritual hunger too deep he can't satisfy. If you need to be saved today, I want you to come and tell me, brothers, I need to be saved. And again, I can't save you, and walking this aisle don't save you. Being in this church don't save you. But I can share with you the truth of what it means to trust in Jesus straight from the Word of God. The preaching of the Word of God, the gospel message, coupled with the power of the Holy Spirit, is still what's changing hearts and changing lives. And change yours today. If you need to be saved. Hey, child of God, are you as hungry as you used to be for Jesus? Are you as hungry as you used to be for the things of God? If not, maybe because you're filled with everything else. Oh, listen. This morning, this morning, your invitation is this. The Bible says to the believer, if we have sin in our life, unconfessed sin, 
that if we confess it to Him, He'll be faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that good news? The God who saves you keeps you. The grace that saves you is sufficient for you each and every day. Lost friend, if you need to be Jesus, you come. Saved friend, if you need to be, um, if God spoke to your heart, you need to get, to get some things taken care of in your life, you come. Whatever you need today, this is your invitation. You'll be closing the service. Brother, play for us.